Is this the dagger? Illegal substitution, too many men on the field, Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block and the sideline. He has not stepped out, he may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up, what a move, shoots, scores! Okay, all right, everybody, calm down. Here we go. Yes, it is episode 100 of The Outsiders. Robin, does it feel like it's been 100 episodes? Triple digits for The Outsiders, pal. Yeah, exactly. Episode 100. Ah, what a what an episode we have coming up, too. We'll obviously talk a fair bit about the Oilers and the Flames matchup over the weekend. I don't think we'll be talking anything about uh, Will Smith's episode at the Academy Awards. We'll let uh, everybody else talk about that. But we do have to talk about Canada's men's national program. On the pitch, they've qualified for the World Cup of Soccer coming up this winter. It'll kick off, I think, on the 20th or the 21st of November in Qatar. And Canada is part of the part of the whole package. The draw goes on Friday. I'm kind of looking forward to watching it. Uh, more intense interest in that. Did, did, did you see any of the game, Robin? I know you're not a huge soccer guy. You know what? I tell you, Bryn, when it comes to something like this, I'm a little bit like you. I find uh, I get into the, you know, into the mood when it's a national thing, when it's Canada and anything, even if it's not my my bread and butter most of the year, uh, the interest. Uh, hang hang on a second. Hang on a second. Hear this? You know who it is? It's A.J. Jakubek. I know oh, he was at the late. match. Hang on a second here. Hey, are you there? Hang on a second. Are you with me? Yeah, I slept in. <laughs> I literally just got up. from. I like got back late from Toronto and slept in. Well, listen, you're kind of live with us right now on The Outsider, so just stay with us for a couple of minutes, and then we're going to get to Kristen Jack from Soccer oh, yeah. One. How was the whole thing? Uh, awesome. Really awesome. Really? Nice. Yeah. Where were you sitting in the end zones or were you, I was all red and white. So I was trying to pick you out, but I couldn't find you. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was close to the Voyagers, like basically two sections over. So, well, you don't sound like you're completely with it yet this morning. No, no, I'm not. No, I, <laughs> I missed a press conference this morning too. Of all days to sleep in, wow. it was like the worst one. So, hey, well, let, before we get to KJ, we've got AJ. So, let me ask you a quick question here. So, you've traveled a lot watching this Canadian men's team. You were in El Salvador. You were in Costa Rica. You were in Toronto for the big matchup yesterday. From an atmosphere standpoint and from an excitement level, because you and I are, are pretty intense in our soccer interests. Robin is passive, but still watch. He just said that. Uh, he admitted it, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. But you tell me a little bit about about the atmosphere there yesterday. Yeah, I mean, it was it was fantastic. It was uh, it was such a great day for me. That was the ninth game of of qualifying that I had been to, and six in Canada, three um, away in in Mexico, El Salvador, and and also Costa Rica. And it was like it felt like the culmination. I, I mean, I don't know if it was 
the, the best moment to be at. It, it, it was certainly the the uh, the end of it, right? The end of the movie, but maybe it wasn't the best part of the movie, but it just felt like the culmination and, and the part that uh, certainly you didn't want to miss. So, yeah, um, incredible atmosphere, incredible run. I mean, I, I think for me, it's just the journey, right? There's so many different moments that, um, you know, starting with points in the Azteca Stadium and, and, and getting a point in, in Nashville as well against, you know, the teams that have, traditionally been viewed as the two best in CONCACAF in Mexico in the United States. And then it really kicked off with that Davies goal against Panama, um, you know, which to me was the, the critical turning point of, of the entire qualifying campaign. It, it, it helped turn the whole thing. It helped get the entire country behind uh, the, the team. And then, you know, you, you came to Edmonton and there were so many great moments at the Ice Teca where, you know, you had... Out of Kubi jumping into the snow and Milan Borean sweatpants, which he wore a couple more times after that. And, um, you know, and a save at the end, which preserved the win against Mexico. And just seeing the freezing Mexican journalists, uh, you know, throughout uh, the, the, their time in, in Edmonton as well. So that was, uh, that was big. But, it, you know, at that point, you thought, okay, how many more highlights can there be? And then you go to Honduras and kind of, slay the dragons that uh that you, you probably didn't expect were going to be exercised that the demons from from 8-1 in 2012 and, yeah um you know sam atacubi scoring against the united states in, in front of a raucous crowd in, in hamilton to, to to beat the u.s where you started to feel okay you know what that this is probably going to happen and then they get the crazy goal from Akiba Hutchinson, a 39-year-old who's been through all the trials and tribulations of what it's been to be a Canadian national team player in El Salvador. And at that point, you know, it was pretty much a given that Canada was going to qualify. And while they didn't get it done in Costa Rica, um, I thought they played a real good second half, by the way, with 10 men. Um, Yeah, just to to finish it in, in the style that they did against Jamaica in front of that crowd, um, fantastic experience, fantastic atmosphere, and uh, pretty cool way to, to clinch your spot to Qatar. We're going to let you go so you can get to the next press conference, and uh, I'll track you down in the next couple of weeks here. We'll talk further on this, but we'll let you get some sleep or whatever you got to do, and thanks for calling in. Oh, I got to work. <laughs> <laughs> well, you go and do your thing, man, and thanks for calling. I wasn't expecting you to call at this particular time, and it also – that's uh, – I. I I normally turn my phone off, so I guess it's just kind of uh, weird how that worked out. But thanks. We'll talk to you later, okay? Sounds good. All right. There we go. AJ Jakubic from TSN 1200 in Ottawa, who also does the play-by-play of the soccer team in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. All right. Was, was that uh, uh, was completely impromptu? Is that the issue? We were up a little late last night? Or? Apparently. <laughs> every You know, for a guy who's been following the team around, he's got every right to have some fun and let oh, it all yeah. hang out. Can't let his hair down because he doesn't have any, but uh, there's that. All right, let's get to our guest right off the top. Joining us from Soccer One, did a great job yesterday, I felt, on the broadcast on Sportsnet. Uh, joining us is Kristen Jack. You know what? I thought, if it, I don't get envious often of broadcasters, but I was really envious of you yesterday because... You were on the sidelines watching that match. And what was it like for you? 
It was really special, actually. Uh, great to be with you, Robin and Bryn. Uh, it was just a special day. You know, it's a strange feeling sometimes when you're broadcasting. I, mean, it's, it, I was in my position that, I was, that I've been for hundreds of Toronto FC games in the past when I worked for TSN. Um, and that was a special position. It's never lost on me uh, what a privilege and pleasure it is to be there. But at the end of the day, I had a job to do. And, you know, Toronto FC had some good nights and difficult nights when I was there. But it, and it was always easier when, they, when they're in good mood. But uh, you don't have a connection with that club. You know, that's not my team. I don't have a, a you know, a, you know, you, you, you develop a few relationships. But when they won MLS Cup, you know, I wasn't hugging people and, and thinking it was part of me. You know, this was different. You know, with all my years of broadcasting, it felt like that you, you know, I, I had a real rooting interest because of the relationships you develop. And, and I think that's the key thing is with these players. And it's all about them. I give them the credit. They're just an unbelievable group of good people. Uh, and, and I think that shows. And I think that's why people like you and I, you know, who, who are in the game, we, we, we connect with them very well. And then people who don't, and they're starting to fall in love with this team, see them as just a really likable group, both in the way that they entertain playing football and then the way that they can, you know, they carry themselves as well. Christian, Brent and I were talking before you came on. And uh, the question was, as we, as we mentioned to you, um, I'm old enough to remember the last time in 86. I remember all the buzz and the energy that was created back then. Uh, we know what happened. So here and now, what's next now that Canada's in? What's next in your mind? Well, I think this is just the start, is it not? Like, this is not the end. You know, this is not, oh, let's just all start celebrating and let's just party and forget it. It's like, how do you build from this? You know, it's, it's the, it's, you know, it's happened where there's no great Icelandic story of how the Canadian game has changed through the academies and development. And it's not something we can point to as the world will start to tell our story, by the way, in the next eight months. No, you know, it's not that Icelandic story where suddenly what it is, is the country has come together under a coach that has galvanized them and instilled belief. It is a country that has generated two or three potential world-class stars, particularly at the top of the pitch, uh, that have then held everybody else accountable to reach that level. And as I said, a, a group of guys, camaraderie-wise, who've really put that cohesion on the pitch and started to play each other for each other in an environment where they've been taken care of. And I think that is very important, that John Herdman's legacy, when he leaves, and he will leave, no matter whether it's after this World Cup or the next one, that whoever comes in next, that that support system for this national team is all filtered towards making sure that it's a high-performance environment. That the, uh, that the ability to play under pressure and perform under pressure is something that has been lacking in this country for far too long. And to have that mental side of the game to know that you can fail like a Mark Anthony K did in that Costa Rica game and then know that you're not you're going to be have people to back you up and you're not going to be held accountable too much and go you can't do that you learn from it but that's for me is the next step with this men's national team as for the rest of the country how we produce players we could sit here and talk for hours about that guys but you know for me at least what I, I do see in this is a little bit like the Toronto Raptors when they first came up with the Vince Carter era that you start you start galvanizing a generation and young players look up to these players and go, yeah, why not soccer? Now there's a pathway. Now the Canadian Premier League's there. I'm not going to get thrown out of academy at 14 and, and have a pit to, you know, and have nowhere to go. Maybe I can find a different way to make it because what a lot of these players have is they all have stories of being told, no, no, you're not going to make it. And they did. 
and they found ways to do it despite not having a lot of avenues. And those avenues now are developing a little bit more, and we can only hope that they continue to do that. It's hard for me to say I had the privilege of sitting outside in minus eight in November at Commonwealth Stadium. But the thing that just overwhelmed me was sitting in the crowd watching both of those matches was the diversity of the crowd. This country's changed a lot since our appearance 36 years ago. And I just feel that this is, a, I, I, let's use a Canadian term, this is the snowball rolling down the hill in terms of the interest level. The question is, how do we, how do we get the participation level to continue to rise and to continue to develop the players? There are so many ways we can go off of this, KJ, that I don't even know where to start with that. I know. Yeah, I know. And of, and of course, I think, you know, it starts with money and the fact that it costs too much money to play. And, you know, we're not going to give, you know, for the certain families that we're going to fail, you know, or, or not going to be able to get the opportunity because of that. Right. Uh, there's, there's a lot of people in a privileged position to live in this wonderful country, but that doesn't mean that they can afford everything that's thrown at their way. Uh, so I would hope that that can certainly be helped a little bit. Uh, but you're right. It's it's an enormous discussion uh, that everybody's got to get on the same path. The one thing I would say is I think that unity is really important. It cannot be about that coach thinking, how do I win my game that day? And then getting my participation trophies. It's how do you develop players? How do you develop young men? And how do you develop young women to be better people as you develop them along the way? And that's for me is very, very important. I, I, I want to jump into because there was something that I was fascinated to watch and it was... Alfonso Davies was brought in to drop the puck at an Oilers game. And just watching the look on the faces of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, they were like almost in awe of this kid. Mm. But then you saw the other side of it. You saw Fonzie, and he was so thrilled to meet these two hockey players. And I'm thinking, here's some guys that can actually do some great things for sport in our country, not just hockey and not just soccer. Yeah, I think that that's the, another thing for me is that soccer is no longer that fringe sport that you guys probably remember it as. And I think it was a fringe sport when I moved here 20 years ago. I, I, you know, it wasn't on television as much. And now this next generation of Canadians have had access to everything they can watch around the world. And they know what soccer feels like. They know what it smells like. So these athletes now are all coming up having watched that as well. Um, and so like, you know, last night at the game, there was a, a couple of big Raptors there as well, you know, Pascal Siakam was there and a couple of, and you know, they're interested to come. They don't just want to be there because it's a big day. They know yeah. what's going on. You know, I would, I would hear stories of the Blue Jays when they had their playoff runs a few years ago, you know, finding out what channels the Champions League game on. I need to watch the Champions League game in the clubhouse, you know, just before the game starts. So I think it's becoming at that big, big, I mean, obviously international players like Drysaddle, they know that already. They come from that country. They know what that yeah. culture is like. But over here, I think we're starting to get that as well. And, which is which is fantastic, and I think we just need to make sure that we can make it accessible. Still, people can still see these games as much as possible, uh, and drive this sport forward. Now, Christian, I know now is a time to enjoy the buzz uh, between now and the actual World Cup. And this is maybe a big question, so forgive me, but I remember that buzz, as I said years ago. It was a different country in a different time. Here's, oh, we've made the World Cup. Here's what we think it means uh, moving forward. What do we need to do between now and whenever to make this more than a buzz? Isn't it great just to go uh, to develop the players, to take players from this more diverse 
make makeup that we have and and turn it into something that's sustainable uh, rather than once every 36 years. Yeah, it's a great point. Well, I mean, first of all, we have to continue to educate how important the World Cup is. And I think people are starting to understand that more in this country. I've said it for years, guys. There's no there's no more two important words spoken in our, in our sport put together than World Cup. It just elevates everything from meaningful games to everything. People pay attention because of that's what it means. That's not, you know, that, that crowd's not like that crowd yesterday if that's a Nations League game. You're getting 15,000 people showing up if, you, if that with that kind of weather. So, you know, that that is the power of the World Cup. And so... That is what we have next in the next cycle. We are hosting the World Cup. So it's like that that is an enormous opportunity. And when I say that, I don't mean the 10 games that are going to be played in this country, whether they're in Vancouver, Edmonton, or Toronto. Those games will come, those games will go. It's the it's the infrastructure you build around it at those moments, the training facilities that you need to provide for these teams. The last thing I want to be seeing, and I've told people this, is if Germany or whatever you name the country gets drawn to play in their group in Canada within those World Cups. I don't want them flying in the day before the game, training in a, in a, in a local facility in the, in the United States and just driving it, just flying in and then leaving. I went to do a game many years ago at BMO Field. PSG came to play at BMO Field and the facilities they couldn't find anywhere to train. They trained in New York and they flew in the day of the game and they flew home that night. We cannot have that. When you host major events, you need these countries to come into those areas and get to know Canada and get to talk to them and and they live there and they they talk about that moment and that's them for a month and they train there. And that makes a big difference in those communities. And then they leave. The legacy is that they leave what Germany left in Brazil when they built their own hotel and training facilities and hospitals. And then they hand the keys and say, there you go. You can have that. That's what you need. We need to have those training facilities and those Excel centers to be able to create the pathway for Canadian soccer players going forward that the 2026 world cup was more than just hosting 10 world cup games and having big players play on Canadian soil. Well, see, and the thing for me too, and you just brought it up was that I, so I watched the, the clinch and I said to myself, this is great for this year. But look what this is really setting the table for the next one. And that's what I love about it is that now instead of talking about 2026, maybe a year out, we're doing it like four years out. I, I think that that's the best part of all this is that it just keeps the momentum going. Yeah, because I we have to say, and I didn't say it yesterday on the broadcast, there's a lot of things to say, but we're not going to have another day like yesterday for many years because now they've qualified. So how are you going to galvanize the next group, right? How, what, 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 what are people going to get motivated by gold cups or friendlies against big clubs for the next four years to prepare for the next world cup? The next world cup is 48 teams. You know, it, it, it's over, it's overpopulated and in, in, in far too big, but that's the way that the world cup is going. And the world cup after that is so Canada's expectation now is that they should qualify for the world cup every year because there's going to be six CONCACAF teams going to the World Cup every year after this. So there's never going to be a moment like that again where they could roll and be an underdog and achieve something. And, and that's what you could do with this. This was why this journey was always so more important than the destination in this qualification process. It was one chance one chance before the footballing world and World Cup changed forever. That was the chance they had to do. Uh, and now we'll figure out whether that that momentum, which is a great word you use, Brent, can carry on building for this team to be connected with all these other games for the next four years. Hey, and the other thing, too, we have the, the draw coming up. Instead of looking to see who I might cheer for, what underdog team is going to suddenly pop up, now we have Canada involved. 
I, relatives were getting a hold of me yesterday from overseas saying, hey, Canada's on their radar. And I'm thinking, well, that's great. But the question is, can we make it count? Can we do something to surprise when we get to, uh, to Qatar? Uh, how do you see that? I think they've got a shot. You know, what I'll always say about Canada is that no matter who they're playing, I think they'll always have a chance to score. They're efficient in front of goal and they don't need five or six chances to put home one. And that's really important in the international game where the the play is slower. The games are a bit more tedious. The defensive sit a little bit deeper. So it's harder to break it down, particularly in tournament style football. But when you've got David and Davies and Laren and Buchanan. You've got difference makers in the final third, Astakio with that final pass. I always feel like no matter who they play, they're going to have a chance to score goals. Now, defensively, they may get found out a little bit more, but let's find out about the draw. And I think the, the, the objective will be get out the group and then the over, you know, the overexcitement of everybody else will be, can they win a knockout game and somehow get to a World Cup quarterfinal? Because that would be just incredible. And the interesting thing now, Christian, is they've done this without Alfonso Davies for the for the time being. Is he's is he back at Bayern Munich uh, training now? I think I read that somewhere today. They have a chance to get much stronger between now and uh, the next time they hit the pitch, don't they? Yeah, I spoke to Alfonso at a 30-minute sit-down with him last week on my Canadian Premier League Newsroom podcast and, and YouTube. You can check that out. He's in great spirits. You know, he's training now individually, um, not training fully contact right now with the players. Bayern have been very, very careful with his development and his recovery back from myocarditis, but yeah. it's all pointing in the right direction. There's a reason why he wasn't in the stadium yesterday because they want to be cautious with him. They want to have him back at training this morning like they did in Munich. Um, but I would imagine within, you know, within the month of April, you'll see him back on the pitch and as you said then you know he, you know he missed the last you know six World Cup qualifiers he only played seven he only played seven of the 14 games you know it's we played 50 percent of the games in the final World Cup qualifying and they still went and, and and qualified quite handedly so yeah to have a player like that on that left hand side again will be pretty exciting I'd like to see him calm down a little bit I don't want to see him go yeah it was pretty crazy watching him get excited yesterday it was a lot of fun yeah. we've been wanting to get you on for the longest time we've tried and now here we've got you and now we got a lot to talk about between now and the end of November. So thanks for your time today. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And quickly, your podcast again. Uh, you can check out the Canadian Premier League Newsroom podcast on all, on all aspects and also go to the Canadian Premier League YouTube channel and One Soccer where we host live streams a lot on the on the Canadian game. And the, and the Canadian Premier League kicks off 7th of April. We're excited. So here we are. It's the spring. And hey, look who's in the studio. Brent McIntosh from the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. How you doing? I'm well. How are you, Brent? Great. It's nice to have you in here. The spring is here and things are getting busy. Spring has sprung and the market is on fire, Bryn. Absolutely incredible for single family houses anyway in Edmonton. Really? And it's just kind of flipped the switch, huh? I've never seen an increase in values this much in the last 30 days. Absolutely incredible. Edmonton's uh, growth for the single family market. And and I, I can't put a pinpoint on why but it's pretty awesome if you own a house in Edmonton. Now with the economy the way it is, and it's just kind of crazy right now with everything that's going on in the world, how is that affecting us? That's a great question. Um, do you want some time to think about I it? I do. Yeah, I, I don't know if, if 
you know, it's not like Edmonton's completely insulated from everything, but yeah, you know, when we, when, if we're talking about the Russian war, for example, and, and the yeah. price of oil, that's nothing but a good thing for all of Alberta. So that's going to drive the unfortunate prices. positive of that's a right. horrible negative. It, of, of course, uh, every time you pay more at the gas pump, it's, it's brutal as a family, but pretty good for the economy. Yeah. So how do people get, I know, how do people get involved? If they're thinking about it, now's the time to move, right? Well, definitely. If you're thinking about selling, I can't think of a better time to give us a call. We're at 780-464-0075. And either myself or one of my team members would be happy to meet with you to talk about the sale of your property. What about getting an evaluation done on their house if they're looking at selling? Yeah, that's where we'll start. Completely complimentary. No obligation. And we'll come, we'll sit down, we'll talk about the value, we'll show what's going on in the market. And we'll even give you the seller some tips on how to get the most out of their house. Perfect. So once again, how do people get a hold of you? 780-464-0075 or on the web, macintoshgroup.ca. And here you are in the sports thing. It's yeah. nice to have you here. Well, I, I, I love watching you guys do the sports show. Excellent. Thanks. Well, there we go quite the show today a little different from what we usually are talking about which is hockey hockey and more hockey but it was the big story over the weekend but there were a few other things that happened robin the calgary flames absolutely took the edmonton oilers apart on a saturday night matchup nine five i'm gonna say it right off the top and then you give me your thoughts you know we could talk about how crazy the defense was for both teams in a nine to five game but for my money now, the one thing that, that I take away from that game, which from an Oilers perspective is kind of a one-off. They've been playing much better five-on-five. Five. They just were horrible. But Calgary's a better team right now for my money. And I think right from the goal out, the Oilers have got some guys that are very deadly up front. But as for a team and playing like a team, the Calgary Flames are superior to the Edmonton Oilers. You go now. Well, I mean, I haven't seen the Oilers taken to the proverbial woodshed like that for a while. Um, I'm with you on Calgary being a better team overall. I don't think they're that much better, although they were that much better in that particular game. You know, Daryl Sutter's got the team playing the way he wants them to play. And when you start in goal with Jacob Markstrom playing like he is this year, this is what the Calgary Flames thought they were getting and didn't get from him last year. And when it starts in goal, it's easy to build something. If you're always looking over your shoulder, wondering what the hell's going on back there, uh, it's tough to to to, uh, to play that way. Their defensive group is is very good. They're big. They're strong. They're physical, and they can move the puck. Their forwards are very, you know what? They're they're very good, and and uh, there's not really a, a a big weakness there. They're playing like I thought they might last year, but didn't. The Oilers, I think you you take the is it the the uh, video disc of it now because it's no longer a tape and you you put it in the bin and oh, yeah. and and you move along to uh the arizona coyotes and the teams that come next the oilers the flames aren't as good as they looked and the oilers aren't as bad uh, as they looked they've been playing well uh, they need to put that behind them and put on the push because they've had some some players uh, looking very good for them lately and 
I think they're going to build up ahead of steam uh, heading into the playoffs. You'd never know it by that game, but I still believe that's the case. Well, we've dumped all over the netminders a fair bit this season, but in this particular case, based off that particular game, I am not going to go after Mike Smith or Miko Koskinen no. at all because the shit show in front of them was atrocious. It was just awful. And it wasn't just the defensive core, although they, they really were uh, glaring, but the forwards just seemed like they had no interest in picking up anybody. It was a, it was a complete debacle by the hockey club, uh, but everybody likes to go after the goalies. I, I'm not blaming the goalies for that one. I don't recall. I, I tweeted it at the time. Uh, if Darnell Nurse has played a worse game, I don't recall uh, when and where it was. He was not very good against Dallas either, by the way. He was terrible in that game. Cody Cece, who's been a very pleasant find in my books up until now for the most part, yep. was awful. I know. Evan Bouchard looked like he'd never played the game of hockey before. It was unbelievable. And he, we know he's a, a good young player, but he was terrible. It was just everybody brought their D game and you can't do that. They're they're You don't have good enough goaltending or good enough forwards to make, to make uh, up for that kind of defensive play. And eh, all three pairs were awful in their own way. Hey, you brought up uh, Darnell Nurse. I, I'm starting to see a bit of an evolution. And I, I know people are going to say, oh, my God, no, not like that. But when he first came in, he was a rush the puck, rush the puck, move in, be involved in the offense. I'm starting to see him try to be a little more stay at home. I think right now he's kind of stuck in that zone in between right now. And I think he's second-guessing his game. But I'll, I'll bet you within a year here, he'll find his way. I just think he's looking a little lost right now. Do you see it like that? Um, I know what you're talking about, how it appears. I would I would uh, describe it this way, though. Darnell Nurse, uh, he never made mistakes of omission, not doing enough. He made mistakes of commission trying to do too, too much. much yeah because of the physical gifts he's got his ability to skate his size um he could race up and down the rink all he wanted before he got to the national hockey because he was big enough and fast enough to outskate and outplay uh bad decisions he's what he's done is toned it down and decided sort of the old saying when to go and when to woe. And he's better at that now. When he has difficult games, he lapses back into the in, into that habit of trying to do too much. So he knows how to do it, and I think he's got it down pat now. It That doesn't mean it doesn't sneak into his game because you do see it from time to time. But I think he'll be fine. He's way, he used to go, Darnell, your end is back that way. Yeah. Get, like, like it was, well, I can rush the puck. Now he, he still does that, but the timing's better. The situations are better. He reads, he reads the game far better. So that I won't call it a one-off because it'll happen again, but it's, it's very rare compared to his first couple years in the league. He'll be fine. Hey, it's nice to have the guy, kind of guy that has the tools uh, to, to, outskate and outplay his, um, 
mistakes when he has a, a bit of a brain crap, because let's face it, there's a lot of guys out there that if they make that kind of, uh, they have a brain fart, they don't have the ability to overcome it by dashing back to their own end. They're stuck and they're going to wear it. So uh, he was bad, but he'll be okay. But you know what? Everybody just looked awful that night. And when it's, you, you, here's the thing that you see on social media. And I, I'm sure you saw it, Bryn too. Every second comment was, and they're going to pay him 9.25 million next year. Yeah. Well, you know what? That money spent, he make, he had a shitty night, whether he was making 2 million, 4 million, 6 million or 8 million. It's funny. People go right to the money now. And I know why, but come on. Do you really think he's going to play that way more nights than not? I don't think so. Not to do a player-to-player comparison, but I'm going to think back to Paul Coffey because I had a chance to watch him plenty uh-huh, in person. Yeah. Paul was exactly the same way where he he could get caught way up the ice and he could yeah. be the first guy back because of his yeah. speed. So I, I see a little bit of a resemblance there. But like I said, I, Paul Coffey is here and Darnell Nurse is here. So nonetheless, it's over with Johnny Goodrow. That's the best game I've seen Johnny Hockey play. I, I thought it was fantastic in that matchup. Johnny Goodrow is going to get paid. Oh, yeah. Cut Ching. <laughs> That's the, uh, this is the ultimate. Oh, yeah. I'm up for a new, I, I'm up for a, a contract here. Um, I'll have my best season by a mile. Johnny Goodrow is going to have what? 100 and how many points? Um, well, certainly yeah, plus, he, 100 plus. Yeah, he's, uh, and you know what? He's been terrific. He showed some of that before, and then he sort of backed off it a bit uh, for whatever reason. He's a hell of a player, you know? Oh, yeah. um, he's quick. He's smart. He's a little bit of a pain in the ass. He occasionally gets a, a big guy. Well, I guess everybody's a big guy compared to Johnny. Mad at him, chasing him around because he, he gives you the stick and that. But, uh, yeah, what a... What a great season he's having. Holy cow. The other thing, too, is that he is going to go into this postseason on everybody's radar screen. So yeah. he's going to have to deal with what the superstars deal with in the playoffs, and that is he's going to be he's going to get a lot of chops on the hands. He's going to get a lot of elbows in the chops. There's going to be he's going to get a lot of extra coverage. The the question mark for Calgary will be can they get it from their bottom six? And they've been doing that all season long. I don't see why that's going to change. And everything else seems to be fitting. Uh, the jigsaw puzzle seems to be having all the pieces fit beautifully for Daryl Sutter. You know what? I got a question for you, Bryn. Let's take it, bring it back up the highway here. Um, Daryl's got a lot of things going right down there, and we're talking about uh, uh, Goudreau getting paid. Uh, Ken Holland. Yeah. Three of the guys who did diddly squat against the Flames, just like everybody else, but that are going to need contracts. Kyler Yamamoto and Jesse Pugliarvi are RFAs with arbitration rights yep. coming up next year. Um, the other one is this, and I never thought I'd hear myself saying it. Is there a way to get Evander Kane signed how much money is too much? How much term is too much? Given the given the red flags that I, among a lot of other people, talked about. I mean, I'm not being hypocritical here. 
I've always known the guy can play hockey. I just, you need to, you need him to keep his nose clean off the ice. Um, can you keep, I, I can't see him taking a hometown discount or saying, Hey, I get to play with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. I'll take less money because he's still got this chapter seven thing going on off the ice where he needs, he needs the dough. Um, the first two are easy. They're RFAs with Arbright's. What about Evander Kane? Where do you sit on him? Well, I, uh, I think, and talking to a few people who've watched him in other cities, they say that they're seeing something different here. I don't know if it's a maturity level, if we want to use that word. I think that might be a little inappropriate here because he hasn't shown a ton of maturity in the past, but he seems to be really charged up about playing with Connor or Leon. There seems to be a bit of a connection there that you can see visibly. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if if he starts to have a lot of fun here and he can start to just play the game. And it's hard to believe I'm saying this in a market like this one, where everything is a little intense both on and off the ice. But he seems to be really charged up playing with these two guys. Now, I don't know if that's all just... Some people say, well, you're making too much of that. I don't know if I am. Uh, I think that he's probably enjoying where he's going right now. But uh, I'd also heard some rumblings that they've already kind of had casual discussions already about what's coming down the pipe. But at the end of the day, more interested to see where he goes. I know one thing... The way he's been playing, he might outprice himself out of the market in a big hurry. But uh, I, I would uh, right now. I would be certainly if I was Kenny Holland, I would be trying to figure out how we could keep this guy because he has given them a different element. Ryan Nugent Hopkins' return to the lineup has done exactly the same thing. I think Derek Broussard is actually has a great little find. I think that yeah. he's kind of given them three lines now. Suddenly, yes, he Puliyarvi. I think is going to be moved this summer. I just have that feeling. I think he's tailed off a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you see it the same way as I do. Uh, and and uh, as for Yamamoto, who's really picked it up, I, I I think that that's a coaching change that's affected him there. I don't, you know, he's basically been given green lights to do some things that I don't think he was under Dave Tippett. I don't know. They're going to have an interesting offseason, but we'll see how fast the offseason gets here. Well, for me, Bryn, Evander Kane is a $6 million a year player and the Oilers can't afford to pay him that much. They can't afford to pay him that much. Even they can move out Cassian. They can move out uh, Tyson Berry. Uh, if you do the math, cause you can't just say, well, take away Barry's money. Okay. How much are you paying the guy who takes his spot? Right. So when you do all the math, I, I, it's not impossible, but man, it's a big call. And here's the other thing. Not only are you going into a, uh, a level of money where you've got to make a lot of things happen, you're also, he's going to say, well, I appreciate the offer of six. I really think that's fair, but I can get, I can get that money and I can get it for five years in city X, Y, and Z. And now do you go against what everything that you've heard about in the past where Okay, now you've got the contract and he's got the money. Does it change anything? Yeah. I'm not saying it does because, like I say, I hope he's flying straight as an arrow and everything that you and I wouldn't know about anyway off the ice uh, is he. Uh, there's some maturity and things are getting better for him and he's sorting things out. I hope that's the case, but I think it's a stretch for him. The others, uh, Jesse Pugliarvi is very good in – 
things that don't necessarily show up. And there's some people who are good with numbers and I don't dive headlong into the advanced statistics and analytics like some people do, but good things happen when Jesse's on the ice. Uh, the thing is it doesn't always happen for him in terms of, well, there's another goal. There's yeah. another assist. They're not easily read, but they are there. Uh, there's some work done by a guy locally here uh, uh, named Darcy McLeod. He calls himself wood guy on Twitter. Yes. Uh, he has got some numbers that say everything is better, no matter what line uh, Jesse Pugliarvi is on. So I'm willing to, if he says it, I'm willing to believe You're it in. because that's his realm, not mine. When I look at Jesse, I like what I see, but I find myself saying, I wish he would finish a little bit more, but that said, there's other things there. Yamamoto's on a heater. You can't judge him on this one, but I like his pursuit of the puck. I worry about his size. I've seen small men try and play big. Uh, they can do it for a while, but it wears them down. And and you might remember this player, Bryn. Uh, Todd Marchant did it for a long time. He was a nasty little you know what uh, he'd get in there and stick you and run his mouth and stick his glove in your face. And he'd, he'd take some coming back the other way. He was pretty durable. Daniel uh, Briere was another guy like that. Daniel, Daniel Briere and Mike Comrie dropping the gloves at center ice in Phoenix. That was, that was Danny. terrific. That was a good one. Um, <laughs> bigger player, but same idea. He got worn yep. out and he got hurt. was Todd Harvey, San Jose. And he came to Edmonton. Uh, for that season. Um, I hope Kyler stays out of the way, but part of the problem of what makes him good uh, is that he, he he goes where the trouble is. And sometimes where the trouble is, is not very a, a very good place when you're five foot eight and a buck 65. So we'll see. And frequently it's in the offensive zone, 200, <laughs> 200 feet from his own net. So it's not in his own end. And those penalties are always quite glaring. Hey, uh, we got a dash. This is a lot of fun today. Uh, and uh, like I said, a very diverse topics, soccer and hockey, and as it should have been on this particular show. We had every reason to talk about both with uh, a great degree of interest. Hey, uh, we got to tell people to check us out on Twitter. The handle's really simple, at Outsiders2020. Also, make sure you tell your friends to subscribe to our RSS feed on any of your favorite ear candy sites like Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Deezer, Hey, all of them. There's a whole pile of them out there. And we're also on YouTube as well. Robin is recording from the Lucky Sam studio in Southwest Edmonton. And I'm at uh, the downtown studio of Road 55, about a hockey puck's throw away from Roger's place. <laughs> so uh, we appreciate your support. The one thing that's becoming quite noticeable to me is that people are telling other people about our podcast. And the most important thing is retweet it to your buddies. That's huge for us. That really starts to spread our message at a much greater depth. And uh, so we do appreciate that. So, Robin, that's it for today. <laughs> I tell you what, I love a podcast where we spend most of the time talking about something that happened when I was in my 20s. It's been a while. It's a wonderful memory. Yes. Trip down memory lane. Hey, that's it for today. Thanks, Robin. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, Bryn.
one storm in the castle. Road 55.